0: Hi, and welcome to Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. So my talk today is together. Uh, and we're on this journey together for a reason. And first of all, I have to just be honest. So my default position is alone so you see my lovely paper chain dolls that's kind of my idea of hell I, I like to be by myself my default is quiet silent solitude by myself i'm a happy bunny but uh yeah so i did um, we were at lax and harsh this, and i was making them do it we did the briggs myers personality test has anyone done one of those here yeah They're so good. I just, I want to get all of our leadership team to do one. They're so good. But anyway, I'm quite proud of this, but I'm an INTJ. If you don't know what this means, go and look after. But basically, there's only 2% of the entire population that are INTJs. And only 0.8% of those are women. So I'm really unique. Thank you, Jesus. And Julian's actually an ENTJ, and they make up of only 3% of the population. So together, we are a unique couple. I know you thought we were always a little bit odd. There you go. It's official. We are only like 3% of the population. So anyway, and I was reading this. um, I did it a couple of years ago because I did think, you know, what what is wrong with me? Because people just exhaust me, and um, and I love everyone, I love you all very much, I, I do love you all very much, and I will get to that in a minute, and, um, but I just wanted to read this little bit of the, um, they, they, they do a whole, once you've done this quiz, they do a whole readout of of how typically you are. And I was reading it, and I nearly, well, no, I think I did shout out, hallelujah, I'm not a weirdo, because I finally felt understood, even if it was just by a little thing on a tablet. But it said, INTJs are brilliant and confident in bodies of knowledge they have taken the time to understand. But unfortunately, the social contract is unlikely to be one of those subjects. White lies and small talk are hard enough as it is for a type that craves truth and depth, but INTJs may go so far as to see many social conventions as downright stupid. Sorry. And that is how I feel. I, OK, I've put a little meme. Jeremy, we've got the, the meme here, Jermaine. Uh, yeah, my childhood punishments are now my adult goals. I'll just let you have a little going to bed early, not leaving my house, not going to a party. They are now my life goals. This is what makes me happy. So that is the grump. I just felt like I need to be honest because now I'm going to talk about the importance of what it is to be together because although that's how I am naturally, I know there is purpose in joining together. I go against this natural urge because I know that we need to do life with other people and the Bible clearly warns us That on our own and secluded, that's when it's easy to get picked off. I'm sure we've all seen Animal Planet. We've seen those where, you know, the the, um, lions or the hyenas are coming into the pack for the kill. And it's the poor little wildebeest that's at the edge. And you're like, no, catch up with your herd. You're going to get picked off. And it's the one that straggles around the outside. And he's always the one that (sighs) gets taken out. And that's so true. That's the physical, and it's so true in the spiritual. If we're on the outside, if we're just keeping ourselves to ourselves, we're the ones where it's so easy to get picked off. And again, right from the beginning, I have to say, what I've just enjoyed, you know, that worship time this morning, that is why we join together. Because there are unique things that God does in the spirit when we are together. When we're joined together with like-minded people, that was amazing. So Ecclesiastes 4 Nine, eleven. So I'm now going to prove, you know, how I've proven to myself that we need to be together. So, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And then I just want to add verse 12 where it says, Though one may be o- overpowered... Two, can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Just tuck that last line in the back of your memory. So also in the Bible, it says we're encouraged not to give up meeting together. Again, the reason for church isn't just as a social club. It isn't just, you know, and, and, and when if Julie and I want you to come to our services or want to come to the different things that we're putting on, it's not for us we know that the Bible says it's it's good for us not to give up meeting together, and that's in Hebrews 24 uh, at 10:24, and it says, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." And again, I think that's really important. It says we need to encourage each other, all the more as we see the day approaching. Now what is that day? Maybe the end times, maybe the end days, when tough, when life gets tougher outside, all the more we need to be joining together, all the more we need to be thinking of ways. How can I encourage that person? How can I lift that person up? And at the same time, someone will be thinking that about you. Amen. So... Many times, you know, as I said, I like to be on my own, but I can get lost in my own head. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to be alone, because it is still good to be alone, um, if you need that time alone, and I do. But sometimes you can kind of get in a bit of a downward thought spiral, and you can just, you know, there's been many a times where I've just thought, I just want to, like, put my pajamas on and just stay at home. And I've made myself go out, and actually, you do feel better for doing it. And um, I think it's Joyce Meyer always says that, you know, a great cure for, for sadness and loneliness is just to get out there and do something for somebody else. So I just want to throw that sort of little encouragement as well, is that you, if you are feeling sad, if you are feeling lonely, if you're feeling down, just find someone you can go and bless, just find someone you can go and do something for, serve that person, and God blesses us in that and in, uh, in those relationships. So there's no doubt even for a hermit like me, spending time and doing life with others is not only beneficial, it's also essential. Now there's a sobering scripture in Ezekiel 33. I am going to read it all. It's on, going to be on the screen, and I've taken it from the message just so it's a bit kinder and a bit nicer. Um, but I think this is really important. God kind of revealed, I think it's about two years ago. I saw this scripture afresh and again, and it really jumped out to me. So let's just, we'll read it. Have we got it on there? Yeah. Okay, so God's message came to me. Son of man, speak to your people. Tell them, if I bring war on this land, and the people take one of their citizens and make him their watchman, and if the watchman sees war coming and blows the trumpet, warning the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and ignores it, and war comes and takes him off, it's his own fault. He heard the alarm, he ignored it, it's his own fault. If he had listened, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees war coming and doesn't blow the trumpet, warning the people, and war comes and takes anyone off, I'll hold the watchman responsible for the bloodshed of any unmoored sinner. You, son of man, are the watchman. I've made you a watchman for Israel. The minute you hear a message from me, warn them. If you say to the wicked, wicked man, wicked woman, you're on the fast track to death, and you don't speak up and warn the wicked to change their ways, the wicked will die unwarned in their sins, and I'll hold you responsible for their bloodshed. But if you warn the wicked to change their ways, and they don't do it, they'll die in their sins, well warned, and at least you will have saved your own life. Let's let that sink in a bit. So if we see a fellow Christian, I really believe, and I've struggled with God over the last couple of days because I'm, God, I'm like, God, is that just a message for me as a leader? Is that just a message that I'm called to be a watchman and I'm called to do it? But do you know what? I really don't think that's the case. I really think the case is that actually each Bible-believing Christian is called to be a watchman. Each of us are called to be watchmen because, you know, we know and, you know, we put our core leadership team together under the, the kind of the, the following the basis of, of what Moses did, because, you know, we knew that we couldn't get involved in everyone's lives like we were able to 10, 20 years ago when the church was much smaller. And so to be able to look after and really pastor and really care for people, we needed a larger team to be there to help. And so without doubt, all of those are watchmen. But I really believe that each one of us are called to be watchmen. And um you know, I have a real sense of right and wrong. And in my enthusiastic teenage years, it actually used to get me into quite a lot of trouble. Um, even as a young girl, I was very forthright. I had very clear <laughs> thoughts of what, this is right, this is wrong, that is good, that is bad. And... Um, yeah, one, one story where this... I didn't realise then, again, it was my personality. Um, I was only in about year seven, and a geography teacher was teaching. I wasn't very good at geography. I didn't really like it. Sorry if there's any geography teachers here today. And I was really bored, so I was chatting and, and talking away. And the teacher called and said, Sarah, why are you talking? And I said from the back of the class, because the lesson's really boring. Yeah, I know. It was really bad. And um, so she said, come here and say that. So me being the truthful black and white person I did, walked up to the front of class and said, because your lesson's really boring. Yeah, ouch. (laughs) Unfortunately, my truthfulness and my forthrightness wasn't appreciated. And uh, so a detention letter home and uh, an apology letter later (laughs) all was forgiven. And this is the thing, so... I really want to, with that scripture, I really think we can see that actually, yes, we have to be watchmen, but even if we know something's wrong, we can't just be forthright and truthful without love. So this is where then I want us to kind of be aware that we need to be watchmen, but equally, we have to have a pure heart. So so here it is, you know... um, God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, what we hear, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, and this is the thing. So I'm not talking about things in the past, you know, where the church might have said, oh, the worship leader is wearing jeans. I think we need to call a prayer meeting and I think we need to tell him that that's wrong. I'm not talking about personal preferences. I'm not talking about, well, Sarah, do you know what? That, that music was just too loud, and I just think Jesus didn't like it. I will say, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Or, no, I can say now, we have a 9 o'clock quiet service, so come to that instead. <laughs> See? All good. No. You know, or someone comes to me, and they have painted the pews green. Green is not the colour of Jesus. So, yeah, we just need to forget about about those things. I'm talking about those things that um, could affect someone's salvation, that could affect their walk with God, could affect their best life walk with God. So, firstly, there's some really important things to consider. And the first is that we know ourselves how the Bible instructs us to live. We have to make certain that it's the Bible and not society that forms our boundaries. So we can't help anyone else walk on the road if we don't even know what God requires of us in the first place. So that's really important that we know those boundaries. And now, while I'm writing these preachers, I have little arguments in my head with myself. So I'm hearing someone go, but Ezekiel, that's in the Old Testament and we're all under grace now. Yes. Yes and amen, we are all under grace. But I just, again, want to say that grace is not just so we can throw up a quick prayer or during communion we just go, okay, yeah, God, I've been living like that all week and I'm just going to whack up a quick prayer and we're all good now, yeah? Yeah, we're good? That's not what grace is. Grace is empowerment. It's what empowers us to live the right way. It's what, you know, when we know what God requires of us... Grace means he helps us. Grace means that because God is on our side, we're not fighting God. It's not he's mad with us and I'm trying to be good enough. Grace is the power that he gives us to live well, to live according to his purpose and according to his plans. That's what grace is. But again, if we're completely clueless that we're even missing the mark or, or not hitting it, we need someone alongside us to come and just say, you know, maybe let's just have a look at that. Maybe we just need to change. Maybe I, and maybe I can help you do that. You know, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, we can't ever just go and, um, and just say to them, you know, you're doing this wrong. And then walk off. That's not helpful, is it? That's what the Pharisees did. It says, doesn't it, in Matthew, that they just heap on all these conditions and all these things. But they don't lift a finger to help anyone. So again, if we see something, we must make sure that we are willing to then help that road, help walk that path with that person. And then secondly, it's really important to ensure that our motives are pure. So I don't know if you remember the annoying compensation adverts with the slogan, where there's blame, there's a claim. Do you remember those? So annoying. I think there's a whole like YouTube video stream now of people doing stupid things and it's just called where there's blame, there's a claim, where they're clearly faking it. But anyway. However, what rings more true to me is where there's blame, there's often shame. So someone covering their own stuff. Goes, look at this person over here. Don't look what I'm doing over there. Look at this person over here. Look what they're doing. Oh, I don't think you should be doing that. I don't think you should be painting the pews green. I don't think you should be wearing jeans. I don't think you should be doing this. Because I don't want you to look over here at what I'm doing. So first of all, you know, because I have heard Matthew 7 misquoted so many times. Do not judge or you too will be judged. So again, so often we've got, well, that's it, we shouldn't judge. Each to their own, you know, leave, leave well alone, da-da-da-da-da. Ah, that's not what it says. What is Jesus saying? First, remove your plank. Get your heart right. Get your heart right with God and then remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say leave it alone because you can't help him because you're so short-sighted. You've got a whacking great big plank in the way. He's saying, get rid of that plank. Get rid of it. Make sure your heart is pure. Make sure you know what God requires of you. Make sure your motives are pure. Your motives are love. Your motives are for restoration. And then you can see clearly to remove the speck. Jesus doesn't say the brother's speck is okay. He doesn't say leave the brother's speck alone. But he says, let us get ready. Let us do what we can do. So we can help our brother remove their speck. So I just really, because I've heard it misquoted, and it's oh, it's like Facebook's favourite one, isn't it? Don't judge. You can't judge me. That's how I imagine it says it in my head. <laughs> you can't judge me. <laughs> so, so maybe you're still not convinced. So I'm going to hit you with another scripture. I like my scriptures. So we also have to remember that we're watchmen for inside the camp. We're watchmen. So what do you say? You're a watchman over Israel. You're a watchman for inside the camp. It's none of our business what outside the camp do. The world will live, or the unsaved, or the people that have no interest in God, have no interest living right for God, they will live to type. They will live as they are, as who they are. They are the world. God will judge them. We cannot judge them. That's not our job. That is not up to us. However, and I'm going to prove it to you, we are to judge inside, okay? So Corinthians 5.12, and I've taken it from the Living Bible. It isn't our job to judge outsiders, but it certainly is our job to judge and deal strongly with those who are members of the church and who are sinning in these ways. God alone is the judge of those on the outside, but you yourselves must deal with this man and put him out of your church. And this is what they're saying is, because back in an earlier letter, he'd said, you know, don't hang around with sinners. And so all the new Christians are, like, avoiding everyone. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. I didn't say avoid everyone. I didn't say, like, judge everyone. But you have to then judge the people in your church. Because then this guy that they're talking about was committing incest so or he was like living with his mother-in-law or something, which is just mind-blowing now, isn't it? But that's what he was doing. So he was like, you can't, no, that's not what I meant by not judging. You've got to deal with him. You've got to deal with this man. But you cannot judge the outside because they're just doing what they know to do, and that is be the world. And that's for God. God will judge them. The Holy Spirit will convict them at the right time. That's for God to deal with. But he does say we are to judge one another. But again, with what? The right motive, the right from a pure heart, from a heart that really wants to see restoration, nothing else. So never to distract from what we're doing, never to make us feel better about what we're doing either. It's always from a pure heart to say, I want to see you living in the purposes of God. I want to see you having the best life that God has for you. And in turn, we have to be around people to make ourselves available and accountable for other people to speak into our lives. And that's why we need to be around people and we need to be around different people so that we know that if we're going down the wrong way, someone can come and just say, do you know what, have you thought about trying this? Have you thought about this? Come with a nice solution-based, you know, proposition with them and, and offer to help. Because as someone that loves and cares for the church and for other people in the church, you know, we really just want them to grow up strong, everyone to grow up strong. And then the sobering thing is, because, what did Ezekiel say? He said that if you've warned them and they don't listen, then they'll die in their sins, but you are free. So you are free of the bloodshed on your hands. And again, this is all a bit like, oh my gosh, Sarah, really? But it's important. It's important to know. So if we warn them, we might get a mouthful back. They might leave the church, our group, our care gr- our com group. They might have a bit of a hissy fit. But you've done what you know God has called you to do, and you are free. <laughs> because if we know, that's what he's saying, is if you know that there is behavior that is not glorifying to God and we say nothing we are then accounted for it, and we have to answer for it. That's not my words, that's that's God's words. And if they don't, and, and this is what it says here in Hebrews 10, 26, and again, you know, these are some pretty strong words, but it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. So first of all, you know, they need to receive the knowledge of the truth. doesn't? And this is where I have to really get hard. If I need to speak to someone, I've had quite a few difficult conversations, and I mean really hard conversations with people that I have not wanted to have. And, and very often it has not gone well, as in maybe they did see it, maybe they didn't. But I knew, and my heart was so much, if I saw the truth and didn't give them the truth, I loved them too much to stay quiet. Because here, if they are deliberately sinning after they've received the knowledge of truth. What hope do they have if they never receive the knowledge of truth? So we've at least got to give them that chance, yeah? But if they keep sinning, then it says, There's no sacrifice for sin is left, but only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, you know, we heard, didn't we? We know the power of the blood of Jesus. We know that it's so powerful that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We've sung that. We know how powerful the blood of Jesus is. And when we live away, that means we don't, we don't care. We don't care what Jesus did. We don't care that Jesus died for that. We just go, yeah, it's fine. I'll just come and repent when I do communion. That's trampling what God's Son did underfoot. That's trampling the blood of Jesus. And that's the consequence of that. And to me, that that puts the fear of God in me. That, that's, that, that scares me in a good way, because I think, God, let me never take for granted what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. And this, is, again, proves that it's not the world. It's those that have said, I'm a Christian. I believe what Jesus Christ has done for me. If we do, then... Let's find out, let's really know what it means to be a Christian, because it says it's a terrible, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, if you, me, I want to try and save that person from that consequence. I want to try and do everything I can, so that person doesn't have to face that. And that's kind of what I want, but you know what I've noticed again in church life is very often the leaders are the last to know, because people like to hide it from the leaders. (laughs) So that's why it's all of us, it's all of our job to be watchmen for each other, but with the right motive. Okay. Now, God is a just God. And if you don't know him, that probably sounded pretty harsh and freaked you out, but the good news is... Jesus died to stand in our place. So we heard, you know, on the day of judgment, as that grows near, and we heard on that dreadful day where, you know, all of us will be judged by God at the end of time. But when we accept Jesus Christ, he then comes and takes all of our filthiness, all of our wrongdoing, he takes that unto himself. So if you imagine, well, this is how I imagine it, that we come to the judgment throne and Jesus is here. And when you've put your trust in him completely, when you've done everything you can to live his life. And again, this is not a religious thing. This is not earning salvation. Because you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn God's grace. You, you cannot earn that. It's a gift. It's a free gift. And it, it blows my mind every time I stop and think about it. So you imagine approaching the throne room, and God is there, and we have to be judged. And Jesus is standing there, and you can just stand behind him and say, I'm with him. Judge him, and we know that Jesus is perfect, yeah? And because we're in his covering, we're under his covering. But when we decide, do you know what? Actually, I think no. I know better than Jesus. I know Jesus said, I shouldn't live with my boyfriend, But actually, it's far more financially sensible to do that. So I'm just going to take a little step over here. Actually, do you know what? I think it's all right to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm just going to take a little step over here. So then you're at the throne of judgment, and you say, no, I'm with him. And Jesus said, you're over there. (laughs) You've stepped out of my covering. You're over there. You're not there. So you need to face this on your own. I don't know if that makes sense. And that's how I see it. And so I know I want to do everything I can do, and I want to help anyone around me make sure we stay in the covering of Jesus. And again, In the shower this morning, where Heidi says, not in my shower, but in her shower, she does all her best thinking, and I had a little light bulb moment, and maybe it'll just help someone, because again, I didn't want anyone that doesn't know about this Jesus to think, oh my gosh, it sounds really hard to follow him, because it's not hard to follow him. One, because of the grace I just said, because he helps us. God wants us to be brilliant. God wants us to live our perfect, purposeful life. He's on our side. He's on our team. He wants us to do the best. And what I was thinking is, do you imagine, you know, your car is absolutely filthy and you've got one little wet wipe in your pocket and you try and clean out that car before you take it to the garage thing. What's it called? The car wash. First of all, that's just dumb because why are you going to bother trying to just wipe this, this covered in mud? And you're going to go to the car wash. So you just go as you are the car comes as you are, are you following my track? You come as you are, <laughs> covered, filthy, dirty, shame, guilt, wrongdoing, all of those things. And you meet Jesus, the car wash, and you let him wash you. Now you don't stand there with your wet wipe, because what you can do, all you can do is smudge it around and make it a big old mess. You just go in there and you let the car wash do its job let it clean over you let it wash over you you let it do its job right and this and that is where the grace comes in and you just know that jesus you, your little pathetic wet wipe is not going to do anything our right works our- a loose connection, sounds like my brain. Okay. And that's, you know, and that's what's amazing. And that's the grace of God is that he will cover us and he completely cleanses us. And when Jesus does it, he does a complete job. He does a perfect job. Amen. And that's what it means. And then going forward, and that's why the word of God is so important. And that's what I said right at the beginning is why it's so important that we know what does God say in here is... It's a manual. There's probably someone not saved here this morning, and the devil really does not want you to hear this word. Just because of that, I would say, Stuff you, devil. I'm getting saved this morning. <laughs> so, anyway, in here is a great manual for your life, okay? God created us. And in here, and yes, sometimes it's confusing. Yes, it's had scholars and theologians arguing over stuff forever. But do you know what? It's a great place to start. Don't let the world, don't let society, don't let the BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, etc. form your opinions on how to live your life. Make sure the Bible is forming your your opinions because then you know what? You could be a life ring. You could be a lifesaver. You could be giving the coins for that person to go to the car wash and clean themselves up, okay? I'm mixing all my analogies and metaphors now. It's brilliant. So, being with others can create safety. Being with others means we're going to spur each other's on. Another scripture that I love is like, iron sharpens iron. Don't you want to be around people that sharpen you? But how do you get that? There's friction. So sometimes it's a bit messy. Sometimes there's friction. Sometimes there might even be sparks. But do you know what? You're sharpening each other. Amen? And I would have to say, my, my greatest critic... And my loudest cheerleader is Julian. And he knows me so well. And sometimes, you know, honestly, he's like, come on, Sarah, let's do this. Because if it was left to me, I would be at home every single day, every single night, in my pajamas. Now with my dog. I love her. I might go for a little walk with her as long as there was no one else around. I go for a walk with my dog at 7 in the morning so I don't have to see people. I'm so sorry. I'm such a bad person. (laughs) But I do (laughs) because I like to be on my own. But he's like, nope, come on, because he's an E-NTJ, which means he loves being around people. He loves to party. He loves to be everywhere. Ugh. So we compromise, and then he pulls me out of my skin. He's pulled me against my personality type. And I thank him for it, because actually I wouldn't be standing here right now. I'd be at home in my pyjamas, which you might have preferred, but never mind. But... Um, that's why I want to say, get those people around you that will speak truth. And do you know what? Even when you speak truth, leave them with God. If they hate you, if they hissy fit, if they kick back, which I do all of the above to Julian when he's trying to point out something that maybe I want to do, and then I let it sink in for a couple of days, and then I just do it and try to make it look like I'd thought of it, not him. But do you know what? I believe that that's a seed that the Holy Spirit can use, and it's something that the Holy Spirit can use. So I hope... At the end, although this might have been a warning, I, f- I feel like I'm shouting a warning. And also, as a leader, as a pastor, I'm saying, help us be watchmen. We need watchmen in every area, every department, every part of our church. We need people that are watchmen. And so I'm asking that if, if you feel that, yeah, God, you know what, that is me, I really want you to pray that, first of all, remove those planks. Please get rid of those planks because then you're going to be able to be a use of God. You're going to be able to be useful to him to help just remove the little speck. So, and that's why, do you know what? It doesn't matter how much you think you've messed up because a plank is a lot bigger than a speck, right? It doesn't matter how much you think you've messed up. That can all be covered. That can all be washed in that car wash. That can all go completely. And then you're there and you're able to be used by God. Thanks for listening to CommChurch Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.